Welcome into the nuts. I'm Mike Palm. He's Amal Shaw. Big program on tap today. Amal in 45 minutes. We'll talk with Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe. Talk some Celtics, some Eastern Conference I'm players. I'm glad he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> what is he, 96? Well, he and Jackie McMullen, they keep each other young. Uh, and talk a little bit about the Red Sox and some Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, but let's start in the NBA with last night. We previewed Lakers-Celtics. I thought it was a little bit of a big line. Eight last night. Easy cover for the Clippers. AD goes down, back spasms, ruled out for the second half. Questionable tonight against Portland. Lakers find themselves now tied for six with the Trailblazers with a head-to-head matchup tonight. Yeah, it's going to be a really important game because you want when you look at the standings, this is an opportunity for Portland to get into that six spot. Lakers would fall potentially into the seven, and then would be a playing situation, which would be detrimental to the GOAT's legacy. I, I wasn't referring to Jordan, though, but anyway, I digress. Uh, you know, when you look at this Lakers team right now, with Schroeder being out, LeBron out, AD with the back spasms, which you alluded to, we saw the litany of players that were questionable coming into the game yesterday. I'm just not sure how this team pulls it together. I hope they do. I've got them at three and a half to one to win the title. It's not looking too good right now. How long will it be till the betting markets adjust? Let's talk about first in the West. Lakers still the favorite to win the West. Uh, does this AD news shift this market in the next few days? Well, we need about 20 million people out there to leave Southern California first before it does, because you know it's always overinflated here in Southern California. I mean, in Southern Nevada with the Laker fan base. Uh, but I just think they're still the popular team because it's one of those scenarios where if LeBron and AD are healthy, people still like their chances to be able to come out of the Western Conference. I, I'm not a believer in this Jazz and Suns team. Do you think now that my Clippers, if if we still see these lingering problems, Wait, did with you the say health, my Clippers? My Clippers. Okay. I'm on. I'm on the Clippers now. Gotcha. I'm, I'm, okay. I've, I've adopted the Clippers. I just, I just I just can't believe that the Nuggets, the, the Suns, or the Jazz are going to win the West. Uh, as a default position, that my Clippers now are set up in a position to finally make a final. Yeah, I, I would think so. But you know, let's not discount what Utah. As I just did a second ago, and mm-hmm. you did as well. Mm-hmm. What Utah and Phoenix have been able to accomplish this year, you don't get to 48 and 18, 47 and 19, respectively, without actually performing at an elite level. I think when you look at Utah, and uh, we had Doyle on, Tim Doyle on earlier this week, and he said he thought Utah had peaked early, and I think that might be the case. Phoenix has played particularly well. You've got the experience of Chris Paul. Uh, let's see if he can actually catapult this team in the postseason. I like the Clippers' chances, but uh, – I, you know, I'm not sure if there's any team you can confidently say is going to be the one that comes out of the West. Let's switch our focus to the East, where last night you said you liked the Mavericks at home getting three and a half. They beat the Nets. Nets lose their fourth straight. Are the Nets the favorites in the East now in trouble? No, I think it goes back to what, December, January, when Jonathan Von Tobel said, keep an eye on Philadelphia. I think the Sixers are going to be the team to beat. They're going to end up as the one seed. Two and a half game lead right now with six games remaining uh, for them. Only five games remaining for Brooklyn. And the Milwaukee Bucks have six games remaining, three back of Philadelphia. So you like Philly's chances to be able to get the one seed. And I think it's vitally important for them from a confidence standpoint to be a one seed over Brooklyn and, of course, over Milwaukee. If that occurs, I think they've got a great chance because, remember, they won't have to face either one of those two teams in the second round. There's a possibility the Nets could fall all the way to the three seed and have to play at Milwaukee in a 2-3 matchup in the second round. Oh, well, there's no question about it. I mean, they just have a half a game lead right now, Mm -hmm. so it's unreal in terms of what could potentially transpire here. If you see Brooklyn sink to the third, we could see them have a second-round ouster against this Milwaukee team. Harden's been out now for an extended period of time. Kevin Durant's been in and out of the lineup. We saw him miss a plethora of games due to a hamstring. Excuse me, that was Harden with the hamstring issue. But, you know, he's coming off that Achilles injury last year. We know guys who tendencies after an injury like this are not at the same level they once were. So it could be a real challenge here. And then you're going to have to rely on Kyrie Irving carrying the load. This is still a very good team. I just don't know if they're not fully healthy, how they're going to be able to perform against elite teams in Milwaukee and uh, Philadelphia. 
we focused really on these three teams for the majority of the season. The Knicks have had an excellent run here in the last month. Uh, Miami's added some pieces. Boston started to put it together. Anybody outside the top three that you think could make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals, possibly get to the NBA Finals? Uh, no. You know, you know, it's funny. I see all these Knicks fans getting all excited. It's like one of those teams that wins like the Mid-American Conference. They win the first game in the round of 64, and they think they're going to the Final Four. Cleveland State. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you might run into David Robinson, <laughs> yeah. okay? So the bottom line is I, I just don't think that these are teams in a best-of-seven series are going to be able to beat one of those top three teams. I think any one of these three teams defensively is, or excuse me, overall is just far superior to anyone else they would face out of the other five. Do you think um, there's been a lot of money on the Hawks? And we'll talk about this as we come back on the other side. A lot of money bet on the Hawks in different spots if they have a chance at a first-round upset. Welcome back into the Nuts. I'm Mike Palm. That's Amal Shaw. Big Friday program here. Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe, legendary sports writer, is going to join us, talk some Celtics, preview the Eastern Conference, and then we'll get into baseball a little bit. Chris Sale coming back. Do the Red Sox have a shot to win the AL East? Well, let's finish our thought on the NBA last night. Lakers go down. Anthony Davis, uh, vulnerable now as the favorite in the West. And we're focused on the Nets now losing four in a row. Looks like the 76ers will get the one seed important for them and that they'll be able to avoid the Bucks or the Nets in the second round. We left off talking about the Atlanta Hawks. We've seen action around even here with sizable bets on the Atlanta Hawks to win the NBA championship. Yeah, not everybody has the same affinity for money that you and I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe people don't care for it. Maybe it's stolen money that they're betting. I have no idea. Why would you bet the Hawks to win the NBA title? This is a team that's been in and out of the lineup in terms of consistency with injuries. Do you really believe this team at 37 and 31 sitting in the fifth spot, which potentially they get to the fourth spot, you would only have home court advantage in the first round of the postseason. They're going to go on the road, whether at Milwaukee, Brooklyn, or Philadelphia, win four out of seven in that series, then beat another one of those teams in four out of seven, then play the team from the West and win four out of seven there. So they're going to win 12 out of 21 against those teams. I don't even think winning a first, let's say they play the, the Knicks in the first round. I don't even think winning a first round matchup with the Knicks gets you enough value to create uh, a profit in the situation. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a situation where they're looking to hedge on something mm-hmm. and take the Knicks for a big price in terms of the first-round matchup because it appears right now, but it's not a, good, a foregone conclusion, it appears that it's going to be Atlanta and the Knicks in the first round. But remember, you still have Boston and Miami just a game behind Atlanta. They would have an opportunity to be able to get in there. That would change the dynamics for the Knicks, and I think Miami, with their experience from last season, would be a different team when you look at them going forward. Let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball full slate today uh, on the card. I want to talk about this game you had yesterday. We talked about you had the end game. On his birthday, Altuve hits the three-run homer to spoil the, to spoil the underbetters. But in the bottom of the eighth, we saw a play on an infield single where Gleyber Torres scored from first base mm-hmm. because there's nobody on the left side of the infield to cover third. So the catcher comes up to cover third. And when Torres makes it to third, there's nobody to cover home. So on a ball that never left the infield, a runner scored from first base. It's one of the weirdest plays you'll ever see. You'll rarely see this outside of Little League Baseball. Is this shift ruining the game of baseball, Amal? Well, it depends on your perspective. You are an underbetter. I'm an underbetter. I think the shift uh, provides a tremendous amount of value for underplayers because there's a lot of balls that wouldn't get through or normally would get through and it would be base hits. But this is an aberration in terms of the sequence. I think there's a lot of times you'll see a guy sliding into second base on a steal, then he heads towards third because there's nobody there. So I think you're going to see these things from time to time, but there's so many times. Think about the percentage of times we see guys hit into shifts. I mean, it's pretty drastic. So I don't necessarily know if I'm going to criticize the shift just based on one play. I, I think that what it is is it's an anecdotal reaction of betters because they see when the eye has a check swing or a left-hander just bunts down the third baseline and gets the hit. 
you feel robbed. But you forget about all the times that they hit screaming line drives to right field, and there's the shortstop playing 30 yards into the grass that one hops it and throws them out at first. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, to me, there's a couple of factors. I would love to see guys do more of what Rizzo does, which is putting down a bunt when they overshift, and it's all on the right side of the infield. You know what? Take advantage of that. Potentially, it turns into a double. At least they're on base. Too many guys are swinging for the downs, not enough contact. And you and I talk about this all the time. Team's not bunting enough anyway. So I think this is a good opportunity for people to start to exercise that option and then maybe force teams to get away from the shift. Well, when we take a look at trends in the last few years, when the shift has become prevalent. Now, we saw seven, eight years ago, Joe Madden was doing this. He was really ahead of the curve. Now we see shifts on left-handed hitters something like 66, 67% of the time. Some teams are shifting 80% of the time. Some are down around the 50% mark. But the shift has become obviously very prevalent in Major League Baseball. When you look at scoring over the last few years, it's down. It's down even amidst the increase in the number of home runs. Obviously, we see an increase in the number of strikeouts. Number of runs per game, 9.63 in 2019. Last year, 9.26. And remember, no pitchers hit last year. A shortened season, but the National League got to hit the, play the DH. So we still saw the runs per game fall. And then this year, with the all-time low batting averages so far through the first month plus, down to 8.67 runs a game. You see how the bookmakers are adjusting it as well. The average uh, totals, 9 down to 8.76. And now this year, the most common total in these games, 8. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you have a uh, what's the baseball has been changed, right? Yes. Remember, there was a concern about two, two less ounces. Okay, and it's supposed to travel less per four hundred feet in the air to try to cut down on home runs. There's some studies that say it travels one foot less for every four hundred feet it travels. Some studies say two, two and a half feet. In essence, that should not make a difference then in terms of the number of home runs hit, right? Like, I mean, it's not like guys are hitting the ball 402 and the ball is dying at the 400-foot mark now. I would ask how many balls hit the top of the wall in the outfield. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, right. that's the difference. But, but no, here's the yeah. problem. Josh Towers talks about this all the time. He made a point to me probably about three, four years ago, and I think he's absolutely spot on with this. He said Chris Davis got a seven-year, $161 million deal from the Orioles. I mean, when you think about that, that comes out to $23 million a year. That is kind of the... Uh, the lead for players trying to swing for the downs and don't worry about strikeouts. And that's why you see it. Uh, just looking at numbers, in uh, 2015, there were 49 homers. In 2019, there were 67 homers. Either the ball is not only juiced. I mean, it is on steroids that Jose Canseco would be proud of. And the point is, it's either guys just swinging for the fences and just trying to put the ball over the wall instead of adjusting. I don't think it has that much to do with the shift. I think it's a little bit just people are pointing to that. Guys are not putting the ball in play enough. I don't think the shift has a profound impact when you have so many guys striking out at an alarming rate. Look at the case per nine innings from these pitchers. I, I Look, as good as DeGrom is, I don't think these guys are all of a sudden overwhelmingly better than Pedro and, of course, Kershaw from a few years ago, Doc Gooden from 85. I think it's the fact that everybody knows that you get paid if you hit 40 homers and you strike out 210 times. Corbin Burns is striking out 14 per nine. Yeah, I mean, Corbin. <laughs> So Dar- you can't Dar- go six innings. Darvish, 13 per nine. I mean, I mean that that's the numbers they're putting up. Here's what I think is alarming. The number of times you have a runner on third base with less than two outs and they don't get them home. The, be- we saw the Padres in that, in that series. Bases loaded, nobody out against the Brewers. Three strikeouts. Couldn't even put the ball in play. It, it, it's, it's pathetic. And, I mean, you know, Josh mentioned this because he coached in the minor leagues with the Mets. There's a lack of instruction at the lower levels in terms of how to play, how to perform, move the ball to one side of the infield to get runners across or move them around. Uh, it's got to change, or you're going to continue to see these types of numbers. One thing we're seeing with Tony La Russa and the White Sox is that return to small ball. 
even in the American League. We see him bunt, bunting with a runner on second at the bottom of the lineup to try to get one run home when he, he doesn't have an, an advantageous situation coming up with hitters. And, uh, and it's a reflection, and they're playing well. And uh, he's got the pitching staff. He knows what kind of team he has. He wants to capitalize. Let's say you're the visiting team, and we go into extra innings, mm-hmm. you, uh, my team versus yours, and you don't score in the top of the 10th inning. If my team doesn't bunt in the bottom of the 10th mm-hmm. inning with a runner on second and nobody out, that manager should not be fired at the end of the game. The GM should come down during the game and say, you're relieved of your duties. Put a runner on third base with one out and figure out a way to get him home. It puts immense pressure on the defense. You've got to bring the infield in. I, I just It amazes me you don't see more of this small ball situational plays that can win you baseball games. What you do is you force the, the visiting team to walk the bases loaded to set up the force out. And Absolutely. Then, and, and, then the pitcher, and then the pitcher has all the pressure of a wild pitch. Or another walk to push in the run. 100%. But that's what you do. All right, let's turn our attention to some games that have some great pitching matchups today or some value that we found. Let's start out with a a matchup in the NL East in uh, in Atlanta as the Phillies travel south to play the Braves. We get Zach Eflin going for the Phillies against Charlie Morton, who hasn't been as stellar this year as he was in his first season with the Braves. Well, you know, Charlie Morton's a a kind of an enigma, right? Because remember when he was with Pittsburgh before he went to Houston, he was not a great pitcher. He was more of a bet-against type of pitcher. Similar numbers again this year with the Braves and ERA over five. Eflin, uh, been decent at three and a half earned runs per game, but Mike, this total is at eight and a half, and it kind of now down to seven and a half. Excuse me. This points to what you mentioned in terms of these totals being lower. I just am not a believer in taking a game like this under here in Atlanta. I also think we could see some run score just based on the inefficiencies of either pitcher. I would lean towards the over seven and a half in this ball game. I'm going to stay away from this particular spot, but I like the way the Phillies are playing right now, having won four in a row. Good opportunity for them with as Morton particularly struggling. And you look at it, uh, you know. He's got a little bit of a higher whip than he had the last couple of years. That's where he really excelled in terms of not allowing a ton of guys on base. You know, you talk about seven and a half as being an odd total, especially at SunTrust. Yeah. I mean, you would barely, rarely see totals under eight and a half there because the way the ball travels. And with Morton struggling a bit this year, I tend to lean on your side with the over here. Yeah, I just to me, there's certain parks you play the park, and it's a scenario like that. SunTrust is one of those hitter-friendly ballparks. You look at Morton's last two starts, 10 and two-thirds innings pitch, giving up nine earned runs to go with five base on balls. That's a concern when you're looking at this Philadelphia team. Not necessarily prolific offensively, but still have the capability of doing some things. And then you get into this ballpark. Now, the concern from Atlanta's perspective is you've got to get Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna going consistently. If they can do that, watch out. And I think the Braves are a team to keep an eye out for as we get to the warmer summer months in Atlanta. Ball starts to carry. Freddie Freeman, to me, is a top five all-around player. I think you could see an adjustment in terms of how this Atlanta offense performs and how they make a push, not in the East, but in terms of the National League as a whole. Your Kansas City Royals continue their homestand after getting swept by the Cleveland Indians. And oh, by the way, here comes division-leading Chicago White Sox into town. And a guy that's had just a tremendous year. Not only has he thrown a no-hitter, ERA under one, whip under one, Carlos Rondon, who takes on big, bad, Brad Keller sporting an ERA of eight and a whip over two. Yeah, big bad Brad is that if he's pitching in high school ball. I mean, he's got a whip north of two right now, just an alarming number. If you see a pitcher at around 1.2, 1.3, he's doing well. Anybody below one is outstanding. And you look at him right now with an earned run average, very impressive if this was an interest rate, 8.06. I mean, the bottom line is this is a guy that continues to struggle in terms of what he's doing. He's got to get better. You mentioned Rodon. Four starts this year, 25 innings pitch, comes in with an ERA less than one. He had that phenomenal game against the Indians, but even throw that out of the equation because obviously a no-hitter is just an aberration in terms of how great he was. But throughout the course of the season, he's been terrific in terms of what he's been able to do. I was very impressed with the fact that he came back a week later against the same team on the road and beat him again. 
I think that's usually a fade spot after a no-hitter. Yeah, I, I think, you know, depending on the weather, depending on who's umpiring, all those things are a factor for me. <laughs> I, I played this game first five. I laid 148 with Rondon. Would you take a look at the run line here at plus 107 with the White Sox being the visiting team? I'm going to answer that question for you later. Thank you. You're welcome. I didn't know. I didn't know your play. I, 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 I didn't say I have a play. I'm I just know. telling you. Uh, I, I uh, might. Uh, you, no, you know what? In all seriousness, I'll answer this for you now. Look. To me, when you look at it, you always talk about this. Mm-hmm. Chicago's the road team here. Mm-hmm. Royals have lost five in a row. Offensively, they've struggled a bit. You've got Chicago's best pitcher going. Giolito may end up being the best pitcher at the end of the year, but right now, when you look at what uh, Rodon's been able to do, he's been outstanding. I like the Chicago team, and in a hitter-friendly park in Kansas City, I think there's a good opportunity against a pitcher. Until he finds himself, you've got to go with the team that's been the superior team over the last week, and that's Chicago. All right, let's switch our attention to the National League. San Diego Padres travel north to face the San Francisco Giants, who have been a surprise so far this year. Blake Snell struggled early, uh, has had a couple of good starts or, or decent starts uh, heading into this one, takes the mound for the Padres against the Italian Stallion, Anthony Desclafani, going for the Giants. Desclafani's been very solid. Uh, he, he uh, all the been, San Francisco pitchers have been solid so far this by year. By the way, really. I'd prefer you announce them the way they are, which is the first place, the first San Francisco <laughs> Giants. San Francisco Brady Giants. Cannon, San Francisco Giants. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. But Padres, just a half a game back in the loss column here. This is an important game for the Padres, uh, excuse me, for the Giants. You've got an opportunity here. You've got Desclafani on the mound who's gotten off to a fast start. Can he be consistent over the course of the season? That's the big question mark. What I like is the number of innings pitched already. When you look at it, 36 innings pitched so far in six starts, giving you a decent average. Bullpen has been solid for the uh, G-men, so if he can continue to do that, I think they've got a great chance here. Uh, I'm not going to touch this game, but I would look at the dog, the Giants at home, plus 128. We know the Padres' offense has scuffled a bit. Uh, I think Snell is a guy who's been a little bit inconsistent at times. So for me, uh, this is one I'm looking at San Francisco here. What about the total here at 7.5? Yeah, I like it under. I thought this would be a flat 7, maybe even a a 6.5. Weather's still cool in San Francisco. It's a night game. Remember these teams played a very low-scoring series in San Diego earlier in the year. Desclafani pitched great. I believe the final on that game was three to one. Uh, I lean under here. I'm not. I, I'll be with you here because I like both these bullpens so far. McGee's been outstanding for the Giants, and they have a lot of arms in that San Diego bullpen. I'd lean to go now seven and a half instead of the three and a half first five. Yeah, and you look at this is going to be the third start of the season for Di Sclafani against the Padres. Had some pretty good success so far this year in 11 innings pitch, just giving up the four earned runs. The one thing for me is in San Francisco, if the runs don't come generally early speaking because of the start time, I think this is going to be around 645 or so. Remember, they're not starting as late because you don't have as many fans in attendance. Uh, It becomes harder as you get to a later time at night in San Francisco to hit the ball out of AT&T. Huge park when you look at it outside of, you know, McCovey Cove area. Uh, So I think seven and a half is probably a good undertake number. All right. Let's talk about one more game here. Seattle Mariners travel to play AL West Bow, Texas Rangers. I like the pitching matchup here. This is one of my top plays today. Chris Flexen goes for the Mariners against our favorite guy, Mike Fontanevich. You have some kind of deal up in King County that we're talking about the Mariners this much? They don't talk about the M's up there that much. No, they're an exciting team. No, they're talking about the Hawks already and why they haven't given Russell Wilson an offensive line. But you mentioned Flexen. He's gotten off to a fast start here. You got Mike Fontanevich. I know your best friend, good friend, Mike Fontanevich. Very good, good, very good friend of mine. Absolutely right. He's going today, has struggled a bit, but he's a guy, if he can get on his game, get the confidence going, I think he could be a bit of a challenger in terms of uh, shutting down opposing hitters. 
Uh, but to me, don't you have to take a look at the M's here, plus 105 in this I, one? I can't believe they're the dog in this game. I can't either. I, I'm going to fade Fontenevich till he proves me wrong. The but, guy had one start last year, and they put him on the shelf. He lost five miles an hour off his fastball. I mean, I, Texas gave him a shot. They signed him to a one-year contract. It's a rehab job. He's come out. I faded him three times. We've beaten him all three times this year. Flexen's been outstanding. We cast with Flexen Friday night, plus 130 with the Mariners against uh, the Angels at home. I'm going to go right back to Flex in first five here. Well, you know, for me, it's not just even about, I know you're a first five guy. I'm mm-hmm. a full game guy. To me, it's a scenario where I look at it and I think uh, you have to take a look at the M's just to the price here. I'm not ready to back Fulte in this one. I think I got to see a little more consistency from him. Well, that's right. He's got to prove it for me. He's got, I mean, he's got, you know, he had one start where he was throwing 93, but beyond that, he's still in the, you know, he's still at that 90, 91 range. When a guy loses five miles an hour off his fastball, he better figure out another pitch, or he better figure out how to locate the ball a lot better than Fultonevich does. Hey, you're absolutely right. Well, let me give, let me give you some good news, though. Your tennis match on Casper Ruud uh, in Madrid. He won the second set six one. That was about a twelve minute set. We can. There's about a twelve minute set there for you. We sweated out the first set though. Yeah, it was a tight one. I know. I give that credit to Gil. That was Gil's pick, and and he talked about it when I was on his show this morning. So, all right. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about some of the rookie quarterback draft props. Look at how previous rookies have done. That's next on The Nuts. I'm Mike Palm. He's a Mull Shaw. into the nuts. I'm Mike Palm. He's Amal Shaw. Well, Amal, the draft is over, and now the props for all of these first-round draft picks are going to start to come up. Points bet is already posted for the first two picks for Trevor Lawrence and for Zach Wilson, some rookie passing props, and people are starting to bet into it. Take a look at it. Uh, let's start with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, interesting, interesting, interesting numbers, and, and when we take a look at the history, very aggressive here, obviously. he's been He's been the anointed one. He's been thought to be the first pick for the last three years. Total passing yards over and under a mall, 4,150 and a half yards, and total touchdowns, 24 and a half. Both of these are at Pickham's with a 30-cent line over and under minus 115. Your initial reaction to these numbers? Well, my first question is, why the hell are these lines all minus 115? No, seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're already pillaging the players for enough money. Give them fair lines of minus 110. In terms of these numbers, it's hard to gauge, but I think when you look at Jacksonville, you figure they're going to be trailing in a lot of games. Uh, 17 games this year, remember that additional game, I think uh, you'll see a lot more confidence in Urban Meyer allowing uh, Trevor Lawrence to distribute the football. I like this one over on the uh, passing yardage. I don't know about the touchdowns because Trevor Lawrence's ability to scramble, I think he may negate a couple of passing touchdowns on a play that breaks down. He's 6'5", 6'6". He can stretch into the end zone on a play or two from a short yarded situation that may take away a couple of touchdown passes. I would stay away from that one. When we take a look at the first overall quarterbacks taken um, and their rookie seasons, only one of them would have went over this this number, and that would have been Andrew Luck in terms of the passing yards with 4,374. Bradford, 3,500. Cam, 4,000. 
Jameis 4,000. Of course, Goff uh, didn't play the full season, 1,000 yards. Baker and Kyler both at 3,700. So it's an aggressive number. It's a stretch. I think it assumes, obviously, that he's starting week one in Jacksonville and that he's going to play 17 games in order to get to that number. Listen, it's 244 yards per game average. Today's NFL, there's a couple of factors to the point you just made. I, I think you make a lot of good points. However, I think some of these guys came in on worse teams. You know, a lot of these guys we're looking at are uh, number – actually, they're all number one overall picks. Uh, but to me, I think he's got a better coach in Urban Meyer. I don't know how he's going to do overall in the NFL, mm-hmm. but I think from an offensive creati- creativity perspective, I think he'll be better. And then you've got a uh, running back in Travis Etienne. They play in a good controlled weather environment. The division itself, they'll play in Tennessee. Uh, Houston is a dome. Indianapolis is a dome. So weather probably won't be as much of a factor when you look at over the course of 11 games out of 17 potentially. So for me, a lot of things being involved there. I think he's got a chance to exceed this number. Here's why I'm not going to bet this. But here's why I I think it's a little dicey. I I look at Urban Meyer and I just look at his tendency to want to run the football. And I'm not not saying he's a diehard downhill running coach. But Urban Meyer tends to be more conservative in his play calling. And I don't know how it's going to translate to the NFL, right? We haven't seen him call plays in the NFL. And I don't know how much influence he'll have on calling the plays in Jacksonville. But I just think in in situations, and especially if they get leads in games, he's going to be more conservative than most. Leads in games? Well, they have what? They have this is a team of, that had the first pick in the draft. How many games do you think they're going to be leading? They had a win total of six, right? Five and a half, six? So they got to believe in a few what games. The, what about the other 11? Well, <laughs> Well, uh, if, let's, if they're far behind, he's going to throw the ball That's my out. point. Yeah. That's why I think when you look at this total, I think this is a team that they're going to have to throw the football quite a bit, and I think that's where the opportunity is going to be with Trevor Lawrence to be able to get over. Look, he's an incredibly accurate quarterback. He's a very cerebral guy. He's been the anointed one. When you look at guys that have been anointed, Carson Palmer was a guy's freshman year was anointed. Tim Couch, if you look at what he did in high school coming into college at Kentucky, he was a terrific collegiate quarterback. Andrew Luck, the only guy that I can think of that was a first overall that really exceeded expectations when you go for what he came out of college for was John Elway. I mean, John always expected to be great, and he exceeded how great he was. And so for me, I, I think this is a guy that has a chance to do that. I don't know if he's going to be at the John level, uh, John Elway level, but I think he's going to be a terrific quarterback. Let's talk about the overall number two pick, Zach Wilson, who's mm-hmm. going to the Jets. Also, these uh, passing yards and touchdown totals, 3,800 and a half. So to get 3,801, also a pick them both ways. And then the touchdowns, two less than Trevor Lawrence at 22 and a half. Playing for the Jets. When you look historically at these numbers over the overall number two, second quarterback taken the rookie season, um, <clears throat> Robert Griffin, Mariota, Wentz, and Trubisky, uh, none of them would have exceeded the passing total and none of them would have exceeded the touchdown total. Yeah, I don't necessarily think Wilson's going to be able to do the same here. I think it's a completely different scenario between Jacksonville and the Jets. Remember, you have a defensive coach in Robert Sala taking over for the Jets. Perspective could be a little bit different. I think the Jets are going to be far more competitive, so you may not put as much on Wilson's shoulders. You're going to try and run the football. You're going to rely on your defense, whereas I think Jacksonville is going to probably be a year away from being a competitive, competitive team weekly. So for me, it's a scenario where I think uh, his numbers are going to probably be both. You take a look at under. Yeah, I'd look at under 22 and a half from the touchdown pass perspective. I think that's pretty high, pretty aggressive. And again, assuming he starts week one and plays all 17 weeks. When we come back on the other side, I'm all in in the palm readers. Yesterday, I'm all had three plays. I had one. Will he have more than me today? No chance.
If you missed any of our show today or any of the VSIN broadcasts, be sure to check out our free VSIN podcast. You can catch up on Follow the Money with Mitch and Paulie, a numbers game, or the Lombardi line on the Daily VSIN Best Bets podcast. Also, check in with Gil Alexander's Beating the Book pod, Josh Applebaum's Market Insights, hit PGA Tour betting previews on long shots, the Ron Flatter Racing Pod, and the NBA Scoop with JVT on Hardwood Handicappers. Whatever you are betting on, we have a pod for it. Find them all for free at vcin.com slash podcast. That's vcin.com slash podcast. I'm all, I know people, that's, that's just what they do. They don't listen live. And I don't know how many people are listening live or, or watching live on the you app. You have an over-under on that? On the app. Uh, you mean as a percentage? No, oh. just as a number. Oh, no. I wouldn't want to guess that nominal number. Um, but... That's what they do. They they have the time in the day when they ha- when they have the ability to listen, and they go back and they find these pod. I, the reason I know is because they'll they'll call me and say, "Hey, I want to listen to the nuts, and it has the other show up. Can you let them know?" Because we're trying to do that. But it's a convenient way to listen if you don't have time um, during the day. Do you take recommendations on whose podcast uh, podcast to listen to? Um, I don't give it. I'll tell you that way. But uh, I I always listen to Gil's podcast. I think Gil's are very good. This time of year, JVT talking about the NBA is excellent. Um, so whatever you're into, whatever sport you're into, you can pick out, pick and choose the, the theme you want. Even there's some that listen to Ron Flatter right here. Well, you know, I would listen to any recommendation as long as it doesn't come from our producer, Jacob Roach. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he gave us a podcast recommendation the other day, and I listened to it about 1 a.m. I was surprised I was still up at 1.30. I listened to it at 5 a.m., and I want to know if I can get those 30 minutes back. That's <laughs> exactly I know, right. That was, that was your line. All right, Amal. It's the weekend. There's a ton of games. We've got Major League Baseball. We've got NHLs finishing off their season. The NBA's wrapping up. All these playoff races, games with a lot of impact. Soccer all over the globe this weekend. We've got UFC. I know you've got at least one play. It's a good number. I actually have two, but I, I didn't include it because, you know what, I always forget the Saturday morning play. So I've got the White Sox today on the run line. That's why I was giving you a hard time in the earlier segment. I like them in this particular spot. Keller has really struggled. We talked about him having a whip over two. So I think that's been a problem in terms of what he's been able to do so far. Uh, White Sox and Rodana in the mound have been tremendous. I like them. The Royals really struggling offensively in terms of where their numbers are at. So for me, this is a play on the Chicago White Sox. I got them at plus 105 earlier. Now you see the line at minus 105 in terms of the White Sox uh, on the run line here. What's your, oh, Saturday, what's your Saturday morning play? Ash Barty in tennis, 12.30 Eastern, 9.30 oh, yeah. Pacific time. Late tonight. It, uh, no, uh, 12.30 uh, p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Yeah, I'm just saying. It's, it's late tonight for us. It's just after midnight. No, it's 12. Saturday morning. Today's Friday. 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on a Saturday would be in the afternoon for most people. Oh, I thought this was a late night event. This is Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it's Madrid. It's only nine oh, hours. Okay. So it's 9.30 here on our time. Correct. She's a small favorite. She's a minus one thirty favorite. Yes, I think I think Gil's against on. Ariana Sabalenka. Is that is that's is this at the end of a tournament? It's the finals of the Madrid uh, Women's uh, Open. Okay, very good. Thank you, Amal. <laughs> You're welcome. I'll figure out what day it is. Uh, it's Friday, so that means I have uh, 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 seven plays for the weekend. Well, give, give people a second to get their recording devices ready. I mean, lots. nobody can write all this down at well, once. Well, we we telegraph Flexen. I have a two unit play on Flexen. Chris Flexen today. This is a fate of Fontelnevich as well, so it's really the stars aligning for me. I've been on flex in his last few starts. Remember, he took a no-hitter deep two starts ago. And then Fontelnevich just hasn't proven it yet, as far as I'm concerned, uh, in his comeback season, uh, having switched to the American League from the Braves last season. I'm going to get a plus price here, and I'm going to lock down the first five innings here. I don't want to get either of these two bullpens involved. Plus 108. I, I was surprised Flexen was a dog today. 
the other two two-unit plays are EPL matches tomorrow morning in England. Um, Tottenham still hasn't impressed me. I know Garth Bale's in, and he had a hat trick in the other game, but a three on this game, I think that's extreme. Leeds, which was a high-scoring machine and played played a ton of overs the first half of the EPL season, has now locked it down and has played, I think, six unders in a row. Three, I just think, is extreme for me here. I thought this would be a two-and-a-half. I'll take the three, four goals to beat you for two units. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought this game up because I want to point out one thing that you and I always look at. When you see a total of three, you might wind up with a push sometimes, but you're taking that into consideration when making the bet. I think it's very important when you look at some of these soccer totals. When I see a three, I want in my mind, I want to try to envision a scenario where there's four goals scored. Absolutely right. That's all I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, now, here... This is the, the EPL match. This is not the Champions League final, but Man City and Chelsea play each other tomorrow, right? <laughs> Nobody's going to show anything in this game. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is going to be, this is a scrimmage. It's meaningless for Man City. It is. They've locked up first place already. In they the win Premier the Champions League. League. Yep. Hey, Chelsea's still fighting to get in the top four. Um, but look, this could very easily be a 0-0 draw. This might be as vanilla a game as you're ever going to see here. I'm surprised this total isn't two. To your point, it's hard to put two on Man City because of the firepower. That's the biggest thing. When you look at it, I think this is one that uh, pay attention to the lineups here because when we saw last time out, we did not see Sterling. We did not see uh, Gabriel Jesus in the lineup, even in the Champions League final in terms of starting. They came in in the 80th minute sometime. So something to pay attention to. And your point right now, Chelsea three points clear of West Ham in terms of the number four spot for the Champions League. So if they do win that, they'll be back in the tournament automatically. But until that is secured with four games remaining, you got to make sure you get a potential three points or at least a draw here. To me, the biggest surprise this season has been West Ham. Oh, well, West Ham's oh, They really it's have. shocking Jack, that they're... Jack Grealish. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so another factor here, Amal, is this is this is the listed total and juice for the final in, uh, in Istanbul. It should be higher here. It should be a two or it should be 150 or 160. This is a game that no one's trying to give anything away. A little later, uh, in fact, here maybe in about 20 minutes in France, Lille, who's just a point ahead of PSG in the league, takes on Lens. I think very important, Lille needs three points here. They're minus 105 on the three-way. I played them for one unit. I've been consistent in playing Lille this year. Does your bookmaker just have an auto-bot for you when Lille plays? Yeah. It's just an automatic yeah. play? Porto and Lille. Porto and Lille. Exactly right. Uh in La Liga this afternoon, Real Soci and Elche. Real Soci, a very good defensive team. Elche doesn't score a lot of goals. You'll lay the 35 cents for one unit under two and a half. This is the play you're on, but I played it differently. I didn't take the run line. I laid 148 in the first five with Rondon. He's been so dominant, and Brad Keller has been so, 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 so bad. He's given up a lot of runs the first two innings of games, first three innings of games. So hopefully Rondon can get on get on top, and if they do, if the White Sox get up two or three to nothing, you're looking at a big comeback as to, to cover your bet on a little hedge with the Royals, especially having lost five in a row. And this Angers play, I'm not a big Angers fan, France. This is France again. But this Dijon team, this Mustard team, is just really, really, <laughs> FC Dijon is awful. I think they gave up six their last game. They don't score. I'm going to fade them with Angers. Well, Not with anger, but with angers. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I was a little bit concerned with that we might actually have the first opportunity to extend into two segments on the Palm Reader's Playbook. We will. But you somehow managed to get through it. Yeah, well, we're trying to come up with what's going to happen here in the, in the last segment. I think what we should do is well, let's take a look at some NFL uh, division odds after the draft, see how we think well, teams what, face up. What about up. Big Bad Bob Ryan? Big Bad Bob Ryan is otherwise engaged. We'll be back on the nuts.
Don't wait days for your winnings. Cash out instantly with Bet Rivers' new feature, Rush Pay. Get your cash when you want it at Bet Rivers Sportsbook, the industry leader with exclusive bets, daily specials, odds boost, and the most in play betting options out there. As always, get $250 match bonus, fastest payouts, and only one time playthrough at Bet Rivers, your hometown sportsbook. Offer valid in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Available at PlaySugarHouse.com in New Jersey. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Colorado, 1-800-522-4700. Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Virginia, 1-888-532-3500. Not valid in Mike Palm's home state of Iowa. No, it is not. Well, Amal, we were all excited to have Bob Ryan on, but the uh, celebration for the 86 Celtics is still going, and he isn't... (laughs) Wasn't able Only to, 35 years yeah, later. Wasn't, right? able, wasn't able to call in. So The, the uh, greatest front line in the history of the NBA, <laughs> Parrish, McHale, and Bird. Absolutely. All right, let's turn our attention now where we started the show. Post-draft, how we project teams out to be. Um, I want to take a look at some of the more interesting divisions and find out if, in your mind, there's some betting opportunities still there. I know you had strong opinions going into the draft. I'd like to see if the draft has affected your view on teams. And let's start with the division where you thought was the most significant transaction offseason. Obviously, the trade, Goff, Stafford, Lions, Rams. Can I, can I just say one thing? It is subject yes. to change. If Aaron Rodgers leaves uh, Green Bay, then we, we have a different division. Could be? Yes. Could be more significant. Yeah, absolutely. It Without question, it's it not could, even close. Could be more significant. All right, let's take a look at the NFC West to start off. Generally, the division thought to have the strongest of the four teams when you look at them from a depth perspective with the, the Cardinals as the fourth choice at 6-1. to one. Interesting, the draft here. We saw the Rams favored to win the division pre-draft. Odds now via DraftKings has a co-choice in the Rams and the 49ers, both at plus 180. We see the 49ers taking some action based off the fact that they took Trey Lance. Does that surprise you? Uh, Yes, it does, because I don't think Trey Lance helps them in 2021. I think it appears that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the starter there, and I think at some point in time, if he struggles, we could see Trey Lance step into the mix. But remember, Trey Lance has only played one game since 2019, is it? Or I think if that's... Right, in, you know, two years, in two if, years. In 16 months, one game. One started. game. And so uh, I don't know how much of an impact he's going to have as a rookie. This reminds me exactly of what the Green Bay Packers did last year, right? You got an opportunity with Aaron Rodgers. I'm not a big, big Jimmy Garoppolo guy, but I still think this team around him is good enough to win with. And you go out and draft a quarterback, just like the Packers did. It doesn't help you in this particular year, I don't think. At least we'll see what happens with Lance. He's got a much better chance to play than Love does. But in terms of division, doesn't change anything for me. The Rams are going to win this division. They have the best defense in football. Is plus 180 a bettable price for you on the Rams? It is because uh, when you look at it, the 49ers, they're saying they're level uh, in terms of this division. I'm not sure. Nick Bosa's got to come back fully. Let's see how he does. How does Garoppolo perform over the course of 17 games? He doesn't have a tendency to stay healthy. If he gets injured, can Lance step in theoretically in week three, four, or five and perform at a level that's going to make them competitive with a defense like the Rams, with a team like Seattle who offensively can score points, and with an Arizona team that I think should improve again offensively? I agree with you here, and I think the betting value lies with the Rams and the fact that the 49ers are getting overbet. I would think the Rams would be real close to even money to win this division, the way the team is constructed. If you get Matthew Stafford like you've had Matthew Stafford and he's able to play this whole season, I think they're clearly the best team in this division. Yeah, you know, listen, I want to say one thing that you made a point on I thought was excellent, which is the Packers are probably in the easiest division, which should allow them the opportunity to be able to get the best record in the NFC. If that doesn't materialize, I think Tampa should be a better team than they were last year. Uh, but I think the Rams have a great chance to go 12-5, and five, uh, and that should probably wind up as a two-seed 
when you look at the NFC as a whole. I think this team is going to be vastly improved. I think this defense actually gets better because they're not going to be punting every time when Jared Goff gets a holding penalty on one drive and it's over three plays later. Does it? Does the Aaron Rodgers rumor talk affect how you might bet the Rams uh, in terms of winning the Super Bowl or to win the NFC? Because if... Rodgers is not in Green Bay, then forget about that 13-3, and three, and now it really opens up the Buccaneers and the Rams for the best record. No, because you know what? When I look back mm-hmm. on Green Bay, I was relying on Rodgers last year. I thought he'd be the difference, and he played well. But I realize Matt LaFleur is a long list of coaches that don't have a damn clue on how to manage a game. And you know, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like this. We talk about this in life all the time, right? You make $10 million a year. It's not how much you make. How much do you save? And Matt LaFleur is one of those guys. Doesn't know how to manage the game. We, you mentioned it again yesterday. You've said it a number of times since the NFC Championship game, that second and 17 decision not to kill the clock. To me, Sean McVay is absolutely a brilliant young coach, probably the most intelligent young coach, in my opinion, going in the NFL. I think his decision-making with an experienced quarterback like Matthew Stafford, they add 2-2 Atwell in the second round. I think this team is much more dangerous than people realize. Woods and Cup are an underrated combo. It's hard to say that about anything in the city of Los Angeles, but these guys actually fly under the radar. We know how good 99 is. He's the best player in the NFL, not best defensive player, best player in the NFL. And to me, I think this team is right there. Jalen Ramsey, arguably the best cornerback. This team is right there, regardless if they have to go to Lambeau or if they have to go to Tampa. I think they're going to win the conference. I think they're primed and ready to go. They're kind of all in right now. They put in all their chips. They're waiting to see who's going to call them. Remember, they had to go to Lambeau without a quarterback last year. Yeah, I thought they should have gone direct snap running back. Cam Akers put in an extra blocker. (laughs) All right, let's turn our attention to the AFC West, where obviously the two-time defending AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs reside. Rumors of Rodgers going to the Broncos obviously has affected the Broncos' odds now at plus $5 to win the division. And I think a really solid draft for the Chargers And then the lift you get from not having Anthony Lynn, uh, it becomes a factor in this division. And then our our Raiders with with Carr, uh, always a threat. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised with Matt Eumann's affinity for uh, Carr, this team being at 16-1. I figure they're probably 2-1, maybe 3-1 in terms of winning this division because that's what they tell me the greatness of Derek Carr brings to the table. Well, they did finish second in the division last year, right? Well, you know, congratulations to them. They're four teams. I'm just saying. They finished second, and now they're clearly the fourth choice. And can it, can an average fan in seven years name who the Broncos quarterback was in 2020? Uh, no. Can an average fan in seven years name who the Chargers head coach was back in 2020 who screwed up the season immensely? Yes, because of no hyperbole. No, no. hyperbole put Anthony Lynn on the map. Let's talk about this. <laughs> it's if, Chiefs. There's nothing to talk about. Okay, let, let me ask you this question. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> if Rodgers does go to the Broncos, where do you project them in terms of a win total? Oh, I think then they get to about 11 wins. So, I mean, listen, Aaron Rodgers is one of the top three quarterbacks in this league. He's an absolute difference maker. I think it's Mahomes. Rodgers probably number two in my book. And Brady right there. I don't know if Brady's number three still, but he's still in the top five. Doesn't matter. He has the pedigree. Um, I, I look at Denver. They would be an improvement. But they've got they've got Vic Fangio there. Another Mensa member. You beat me to the punch here. We talked off off camera after the Moose Johnston interview yesterday about is the era gone where a defensive-minded head coach can be successful in the NFL? And that's one of the questions I have. I mean, look at all the Super Bowl teams these past years. They're all with offensive-minded head coaches that are our top coordinators and play callers, right? Yeah, I was going to say Tom Brady won six Super Bowls despite Bill Belichick, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, you, you know, I mean, you yeah. look at these head coaches that are defense. McVay's an offensive guy. Shanahan's an offensive guy. Look at teams. Pete Carroll's probably the last one in Andy Belichick. Reed. Andy Reid's an, an offensive, offensive guy. guy. Great example. Matt Bruce Lafleur Arians is an exactly. offensive guy. <laughs> Great point you make there. I think they're going more towards the offense. And I think it's vitally important. And you know, the problem is the point that you raised that's so good. A guy like Fangio, you become more conservative in your approach and your play calling. 
because you you think you were going to rely on your defense, you're going to play field position. Whereas you have an offensive coach like Arians, you're going to risk it. You're going to take some chances. You see that with so many teams, they're much more offensive minded. We see it with Shanahan taking risk on fourth down. I think teams that have an offensive head coach tend Sean to be Payton. more gamblers. Peyton does it yeah. all the time. <laughs> Urban Meyer is going to be Mr. Fourth Down Absolutely. in Jacksonville. Absolutely. And the thing about Fangio here is it gets overlooked how bad a game manager he is as well because he Anthony Lynn would give him at least one game a year. So in, in that column, it, it kind of got disguised. That's what I think holds the Broncos back. I, I just I don't think Fangio is, is the guy that's going to take them to a deep playoff run. Well, I also don't think Vaughn Miller is the same player he once was. I think he's a great player, but he's just not where, where he used to be. On the other side of the Rodgers trade talk, let's talk take a look at the NFC North. Obviously, the Packers, maybe the most presumptive favorite outside of the Chiefs to win a division. If Aaron Rodgers is no longer in Green Bay, who's there to pick up the pieces? The Vikings at plus 250 or the Bears at plus 350? Uh, you know, to me, I would give the slight edge to the Vikings because of experience at quarterback because I don't think Andy Dalton's the guy. I'm not, You know I'm not a Kirk Cousins guy, but when you look at Thielen and Jefferson on the outside, they've got a great opportunity with those two guys. Remember, Rudolph now with the Giants. Dalvin Cook, if he's healthy, is one of the premier backs in the National Football League. I think the Bears, though, if they can build some momentum early on, the Bears might be one of the most important teams to pay attention to in the first three to four weeks of the season. If they start winning, whether it's with Dalton or Fields, it'll be just critical to the success of their season. If they get off to a slow start, I think they could be in serious trouble. But if they get out of the block strong, I think this team becomes very dangerous. When does Justin Fields start? I think it could be day one because when you look at the red rifle, there's a lack of arm strength, not necessarily a terrific mover. Fields is going to give you some plays that you have with Trubisky in terms of being pocket mobility. He can run a couple of plays. He's got great speed, ran a 4-4-40. Um, he's got a good downfield touch. We're going to see Allen Robinson be a much better receiver. I think this is a combination in Chicago that really could come to the forefront. I think David Montgomery as a running back becomes much better with a better passing game. I think you'll see a different Bears offense. I mean, with Trubisky, it reminds me how we joke about Tua. Trubisky was the same thing. I don't think he knew you're allowed to throw the ball past that 10-yard stick. I thought he might, he thought that was out of bounds if you go down the field past it. He was just not a guy who was going to throw it. Let's turn our attention to the AFC North. Uh, a division that Baltimore has dominated the past few years. You have an aging Steelers team who drafted your guy, Najee Harris. You have a team that made tremendous strides last year under Stefanski with Baker Mayfield and the Browns. And then you have an interesting team with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Yeah, I'll tell you, to me, uh, Bengals at 21, probably not going to be able to, 20 to 1, going to be able to do it the way the Washington football team last year did. Uh, but Steelers, I think they take a step back. Remember, they lose Villanueva. He goes, mm-hmm. the left tackle now goes to Baltimore, who lost Orlando Brown in a trade to the Chiefs. Uh, so for me, I give the Ravens an opportunity here, but I think the Browns are going to win this division. I think the play in this division is to fade the Steelers to make the playoffs. Yeah, I agree I, with you. I, because I think it's too dicey. Can the Browns take another step forward? This is going to be interesting. This is really going to, I mean, Baker Mayfield's career, here's the year. Does he get, does he bounce or does he continue to make improvements? I ba- mean, Baker was one of the top quarterbacks in the league over the last eight yeah. weeks of the season. If yeah. he can build on that, then they've got a great chance. He also put a great running game with him, too, which helps him That's tremendously. An they I have mean, the best combo in the league. Absolutely. When you look at Chubb and you look at Hunt, that is the best combination in the NFL. That gets understated how important that is for that Cleveland team, especially in that weather. What they have, they had like five games where you, all you could do was kick field goals last year. It's not just the weather. It's the fact that they're both battering ramps. Like, it's one thing to be a good runner. Running back. It's another thing to be a punishing back. And I always say Nick Chubb would have been much more valued if he didn't have that catastrophic knee injury in Knoxville. This kid could play when he was at UGA. And speaking of which, when are we going to talk about UGA, my SEC champions this year? Good luck on all your bets this weekend. Up next, betting across America on Visa and the Sports Betting Network. 